And if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the third chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, page 709 in the Church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. In just a moment or two, we're going to begin reading in verse 31. Actually, I think I'll read verse 21 just to help set the context. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, we'll start from 21 and then we'll shoot right down to 31. Most of you know we've been working verse by verse through this Gospel, and so here we are this morning. Why are we at this verse? This is where we should be. This is where we should be. All right, let's hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Verse 21, when his, this is Jesus, when Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he is out of his mind. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word and may God give us understanding of it this morning. Please, if you would, let's pray together seeking the help that we, that we need. Father, we do humbly pray that you would please capture this moment for the praise of your glory. So we are asking for the help of the Holy Spirit to speak, to listen, to understand and obey, being brought into a life-changing encounter with you, the living God, as your word is preached. You said, Father, in your word that we ought to call on you in the day of our trouble and that you will help us and we would glorify you. So we are calling, I am calling, Father, for massive help. And for Jesus' sake, please be pleased to give it. Amen. Well, it seems best in light of a passage like this to remind ourselves, or perhaps for some of us, we may be hearing this for the first time, basic Bible truth about the family. The family, family life, is one of God's great gifts to all humanity. It is a grace. It is what's called a common grace, which God gives to have a family. And it is God who designed the family and established it from the very beginning of time, having given Adam and Eve to each other. He then told them by way of instruction to be fruitful and multiply in the ties of marriage. When we continue to read our Bible and keeping in mind, if you would, redemptive history, we learn that God wrote into his very law the requirements of what it means to be a family. So, for example, Exodus chapter 20, God's command to children is for children to honor their father and mother in order that the days may be prolonged upon the land to whom the Lord their God was giving them. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, in the days of his flesh, was himself born into a family. He didn't come to earth to live uh, isolated. Rather, he came and he grew within the framework of a family. There was Mary and there was Joseph. There was his brothers and sisters. And Luke tells us in his gospel that this arrangement worked so well, Christ grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. 
As the life of Jesus unfolded, there can be no doubt at all Jesus was incredibly concerned with the responsibilities of family life right up to the end. So much so that as he was hanging on the cross in pain, in our sin, Jesus did his duty well. And looking down upon the cross, many of you know this, he arranged for the well-being of his mother and to the care of one of his disciples. So then, there can be no doubt at all if you read the gospel record to see just how strongly Jesus felt for his earthly family. If you like, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he was a family man. And yet, as we read this text, at the same time, just as Jesus enjoyed all the privileges and executed the responsibilities of family relationship, he also experienced the pain of alienation and the pain of rebuke in those same Relationships, that's verse 21. Jesus' own family is calling him a madman. Psalm 69 helps us here. It's a, it's a psalm which I think finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ um, since the Bible is a book about Christ. So the psalmist writes, Psalm 69, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. Chapter 3, verse 21, do you see it there? I'm a stranger to my own family a stranger to my own mother's children. For the zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult me. You're a madman? Excuse me, the insult you have fallen on me. Doubtless then these verses find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus himself. Jesus, a stranger to his own family. And again, we can see that so clearly in verse 21 of chapter 3. As we continue on in our Bibles, we find the apostles, when they would write to churches, they gave a relatively small portion. Still, they gave a portion of their letter to instruct people on family life, right? Husbands, you are to live and love your wives sacrificially. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands appropriately. Kids, you are to obey your parents completely. And parents, you are to train and teach your own children God's Word thoroughly. And there you have it. Basic Bible truth about the family. So, as we move along, there has to be no doubt in our minds at all. The family is a gift from God. It is an expression of the love of God. It was designed by God. It is defined clearly by God. And its privilege was enjoyed by the Son of God, Jesus. However, Having said all that, the words of Jesus, as we read a moment ago at the end of chapter 3, so shows us very, very clearly that although the family is a gift from God, the nuclear family, your family, is never to be your God. Which probably makes the words of Jesus in chapter 3 when applied shocking, and I bet, maybe to some, almost unchristian. Because if we're going to be honest... So many have been fed for so long the line that says, oh, your family is the priority in Christianity. Family first. And if you keep the family first, you're going to be fine because if you follow Jesus, he's all about the family. It's his main thing. And he can fix your family completely. And if you stick with us, you'll just raise up some shiny golden nuggets who obey you on your first command and then your family will finally reach its full potential as a Christian family. And then along comes Jesus with the question, verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? In other words, 
who's my family? And his reply, I'm going to suggest to you, ought to be on one level shocking to us. And if it's not, then we may not understand the full implications, which is part of my duty here this morning, of what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is saying is essentially if we think that the concerns of our individual family, as precious and as important as we just outlined them to be, if we think those concerns of our individual family takes priority, takes preference, takes primacy over just about everything, especially Christ, God's will, and God's forever family, then we would do well to pay attention to the stunning nature of the reply of Christ in these verses. Loved ones, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ will radically change at every stage and stage of our existence many of our thoughts, many of our beliefs that we hold to right now, and a lot of things we just assume are true about the world. I was talking to a business person not too long ago. He was struggling with the claims of Jesus Christ because he was honestly thinking it through. His family was fine. His finances were fine. And his health was fine. So it was just him and Jesus and his sin. And so he said to me, I was thinking of Jesus as Lord. And he saved me by dying for me on the cross. And you tell me he's king. Then that means to me there is nothing he cannot ask of me. Am I right? And I said, yeah, you're right. And he looked at me and he said, that scares me. It scares me. I appreciated the honesty. Because so often as Christians, we may lose the sense that since Jesus is king, and since we're still in our fallen flesh, right? Since a lifelong battle with, <laughs> with sin is to be expected, we are not perfected. And surely that means on one level that Jesus will challenge some patterns that we hold to in our life, in our family right now. And standards that we've held and lines, if you would, of living that we hold to right now. And how we relate to people right now, least of all our own family right now. Because if we aren't challenged by that, then what we're saying is that we're perfected. Yesterday I was reading through this nervously. And I got my book, Can I Trust the Bible? Because I wanted to make sure I could trust the Bible. Page 59, listen to what it says. We're so sinful, speaking to Christians. Romans 1 tells us that sinful people actively suppress the truth of God. Christians should remember that although Jesus has liberated us from slavery to sin, we're not yet fully free of sin's effects. Our minds, even when we have the best of intentions, do not yet see as clearly as they will when we see Jesus Christ face to face. That's true. And because of that, I know that, or at least I think I'm not too far off when I say, by nature, we would like to make Jesus our advisor, but not our king. By nature, we would like to have Jesus as a kind of divine management consultant. Do you know what I mean by that? So someone who's really good in a crisis, but you don't really want him around all the time. You call him when things are rough, Show them the door, if you would, when things are smooth. Because consultants are expensive. But here's the thing. If Jesus is king, then this king Jesus has a much more radical claim on us than we think right now. So these verses set in a proper context shows us the shocking, radical priority of Jesus in a person's life which supersedes, believe it or not, even the wonderful privilege of family 
life. Because what Jesus is telling us is that the natural ties, they're not the only ties, and they're not even the best ties in the world, nor are they the lasting ones. Okay. Family life can be an enormous blessing, but it can be accompanied by massive disappointment, and it will ultimately be ended by death. Since that's all true, what do we need? We need, we need the voice of God speaking outside of our culture to invade our culture to help us see the way. And that's what we have in these verses. Four points. Number one, the scene is set. Jesus' response to his family's claim that he's mad, verse 21, begins in verse 31. Now we know that the opposition to the ministry of Jesus has growing. It reached a high point, chapter 3, verse 6, when Jesus becomes a marked man. But I think the apex, if you would, of his opposition comes right here, verse 21, in the most unexpected place. His own family thinks he's mad. And what they're doing is they're planning on a family intervention. Now I can't imagine things getting much worse than our own family thinking us mad. Right? That's enough, young man. You're going to get in the cart. We're taking your home. Now, his claim of divinity, his gospel preached of God's mercy. Uh, Jesus was preaching that God forgives sins only through him. And God does not forgive sins um, through a good Jewish man trying the best that he can to live right. Nor was he forgiving sins by the external regulations that the Pharisees had taught and the people had just grown accustomed to. So Jesus was preaching, and his family got wind of this, that the path to eternal life with God runs only through him. That a person's obedience does not and cannot earn a right standing with God. So his family sees that, and they wrongly assume, and here's the thing, they assume that family ties are greater than his earthly ministry And they assume they're greater than every other relationship. Now, I'm going to say that again. Because when the family goes to stop Jesus, this is what they're saying. They're saying that their family ties are greater than his earthly ministry. And they're greater than every other relationship. Indeed, the family's under the persuasion that family ties can actually bring a halt to his ministry. And define what is right and wrong in his ministry. In other words, the family's saying, look, we know better than you, Jesus, and we need to take you home. So verse 32, as the family arrives, they send word for him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Well, what is that? That's standard social practice, right? Accepted codes of behavior. You stop your work, Jesus, because your family's there, right? You need to go to them. Go. It's your family. That's what good family people do. Now, in 2,000 years, not a whole lot has changed. Stop the work. Don't do the work. Family First, however, and you see it there, Jesus does not stop the work, nor does he go to his mother or his brothers. And accepted codes of behavior are out the door now, and Jesus is the one who tosses them out the door. Okay, why is that the case? Well, again, his family wrongly assumes that family ties takes importance and priority over his earthly ministry and takes importance and priority over every other relationship. If you like, they think that their earthly family has the priority over God's forever 
family. Now, I don't want to belabor the point because there's many occasions in the gospel where Jesus' family and Mary does this. I'll just give you one example. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Jesus is 12 years old. His mom and dad think he's lost. However, he's not lost. He's in the temple. He's giving lessons. Everyone's impressed. Mom and dad finally find him. And what does his mother say? Son, why have you treated us like this? Right? This is motherhood 101. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This is almost like in the movies. Look at your father. You're, you're just destroying him. In other words, Mary assumes, maybe justifiably, but according to Jesus, incorrectly, bad Jesus. Family ties are the most important ties, Jesus. You should have been with us, Jesus. But Jesus differs. And this is what Jesus says to his mother. Why were you searching for me? And then he gives a rhetorical question. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The answer was, Mom, you should have known. Because there's something far more important than family ties. There is an authority and a priority greater than any earthly thing, including our natural family. And you should know that, but you don't. It's the same thing the Jews did. They would often say, and you can read this in John's Gospel, Abraham is our father, Abraham is our father. In other words, nationality is the main thing here. And so you find this here in the States. We love God. We love our country. We love our family. And they're all number one, right? God, country, family. Everybody's number one. (laughs) It sounds good, but it's not true. It's not logical. And it definitely isn't biblical. Because you can only have one, number one. Gentlemen, try that in your house with your wife. (laughs) Right? It won't work. So what I'm saying to you is that Mary... And so many people perhaps now have built, if you would, into the very fabric of their mentality, namely family ties takes priority, takes precedence over the, every other relationship, including God's family. That's number one, the scene is set. Jesus' family wrongly assumes that their family ties are greater than his earthly ministry and they take priority over every other relationship. So Jesus responds to that as he often does with a question. That's the second point. The question is asked. Who are my mother and brothers? Now his question is very telling. Because what he asked here will be clear to all that there is a closer relationship to Jesus, son of God, than the relationship of his earthly family. Family life is not the priority, according to Jesus. And so he asks, who are my brothers? mother and brothers. Verse 33, extended means essentially, who is in my real family? How are they in my real family? And why are they in my real family? Now, you know, I tell you often, we've got to think with our Bibles wide open. John's prologue answers all three of those questions. Let me just read it to you. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. He, Jesus, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That sounds right here. Yet to all who did receive him, you mean like tax collectors and prostitutes and, quote, sinners? Yeah. To those who believed in his name, he gave them the right. He gave them the power to become children of God, the family of God. Family born not of natural descent, not with mommy and daddy together, no, but born of God. Grace. Grace. Number three. Can you believe point two went so quickly? Number three, the question is answered. The question was, who are my mother and brothers? And part of that answer, verse 34, Jesus looked 
at those seated in a circle around him and said, okay, what does he say? Well, what he says is that his family is not, if you would, his earthly family, even though they are his family, and that the people around him takes priority over his earthly family who at this point in the story are where? They're outside. And that's important because Mark does this now at least three times. Look at verse 31. Jesus' earthly family are noted as being, where are they? They are outside. Verse 32, they are noted again as being outside. And now in the midst of this large crowd, it is only those who are inside, if you would, circled around Jesus. The 12 probably, but absolutely more. And Jesus looks at those people around him in light of that question, and he tells them the best thing anyone could ever hear in their life. Verse 34b, here is my family. Here is my family. Here's my mom and my brothers. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this, that as, as treasured and as privileged Family life was to Jesus, and as treasured and privileged family life is to most of us here, we cannot, they could not, we dare not, they dare not have the priority over commitment to God's will and therefore commitment to God's family. Because by nature, and we know this, by nature, for most people, family is first. You don't even have to be Christian to believe that. You don't need any spiritual power to say family first. First over the places where Jesus is named and ruled and wills. The church, in service, in worship, ministry. By nature, family first. And so often we think that's the Christian way. It's our one great out. Loved ones, the, the most important realities lie outside the nuclear family. The most important realities lie outside the nuclear family. So can I just say this in passing? Because in light of the, the verse, it, it, just, it just seemed right. There is great inherent joy and benefit for the family in sports. And our children's involvement in them. My did, kids did sports every year for as long as I can remember. But in recent years, sports has kind of crossed that invisible barrier and they have just impinged massively on the life of the church. Add to that the extended and frequent family getaways, which again has crossed over and invaded the life of the church. And now they're part of the new normal in the church of Jesus Christ. And that is something our forefathers rarely had to contend with. So people now have the means the resources, the equipment to go away, play a lot. And of course, there isn't any inherent evil in any of that at all. But you do have to choose yourself first, oftentimes when you decide that way. Now in the arena of sports... It's not just the Christian world that's saying something about this. This came from the cover of Time magazine just a few weeks ago. And you see a little boy with a baseball bat. This is what pagans are saying. How kids' sports turned pro. Crazy travel, crazy cost, crazy stress. 
Again, that's not a preacher. That's a pagan. Here's my question. Of what enduring value, of what enduring value will be gained if those children are not brought to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, see him as king, and to see his family, church family, as their family? And of what lasting benefit will be to those with extended and frequent family getaways and celebrations if we allow them to take precedence and priority which Christ himself has established? Of what lasting value? And loved ones, someone has to ask those questions. Someone has to make those observations and at least ask the question. Now Jesus said what he said then in verse 34. It's not a statement which is said by someone who is an enemy of the family. Right? This is someone, as we said, who loved the family and loved his mother perfectly all the way up to the end. So much so that he provided a care for her. So this is said by someone who loves his family But he loves all families. And pay attention to this. And Jesus wills his will in love to let his love run its full course. And when we let his love run its full course, we will enjoy a bigger family. A forever family. God's way. That's radical. It could be uncomfortable. But this is the consistent teaching of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. That he is first. And everything else is not a close second. Let me give you one example. Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, doesn't hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, family, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's way over the top, Jesus. What are you trying to say? This is what he's trying to say. The word that he used, hate, was a rabbinical way of teaching, and it made this point. He's not saying you have to literally hate your family. That would be breaking the fifth commandment. But he is saying this, I am to be so number one in your life that in comparison, everything else looks like a distant second. A distant second. Okay, so why is that? I mean, why, this is, Jesus, that sounds rough. Well, let's, let me give you one example that I learned and I thought it would be helpful. If you get on an airplane, most of you know at the beginning of the ride, there's the safety instructions. And one of the instructions tell you that if the cabin pressure is compromised, those little yellow cup oxygen masks are going to come down. When that happens, they tell parents what? They say, look, you put the mask on yourself first, and then you put the mask on your kids. And I wonder, you know, how many parents really like, really? I'm not going to be that parent. I love my kids way too much. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason why parents are told this. The point is that you'll only be good to your kids if you're breathing in the oxygen. Because if you're struggling to breathe, then you're not going to be any good to them at all. Here's the point. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I am your spiritual oxygen. And in the things that matter most, not jobs, houses, cars, careers, acclaim. No, in the things that matter most, we won't be any good to anyone if we're not breathing him in. Enjoying Jesus as first and best in everything, which of course would include our families. And if you let Jesus' teaching, if you just let it seek in and don't try to fight it so much, you can be greatly liberated and here's why. None of us, no matter how good our parents were, none of us had parents who were all that they should be. Our parents, like all parents, are fallen and frail people. So that means none of us here who are parents now, no matter how good we are or how hard we try to be good, we're not all that we should be. 
Because we, like our parents, before us, were fallen and were frail. So, there's a part of me that needs to say to you, just relax. But I need to go on. Those of you right now, you may be in a place where your parents are and have been deliberately cruel to you. And they have done great evil against you. How are you going to cope with those things? How are you going to cope with the fact that the parents who should love you have not loved you and have done wicked against you and they've hurt you? How do you cope with those broken feelings when the ones who should love you, they've turned on you? Here's your answer. And you see, this is what I love about the answer because either the gospel and Jesus is real or he's some kind of gooey mess, right? Emotional gooey mess. If Jesus is your first family, if he's your primary family connection, if he's first and best and you know God the Father through Jesus Christ and and both are your best, your all and everything, don't you see that your earthly family, they don't have to be your all and they don't have to be your everything and you can relate to them now no longer in anger or despondency thinking that somehow you're going to be less of a person because mom and dad weren't awesome. Because Jesus is your elder brother, and God is your father, and if he is your all in everything, you can still enjoy the good that your parents do, all the while knowing that the best of mom and dads are moms and dads at best. And please listen. Jealousy, envy, comparing our families to others, That is a devilish thing, which may take us to market, find our family potions to fix things. That's not God's way. So if you think that your family, the kids, the husband, the wife, they can be your all in everything, and they can satisfy everything, then you have put them all in an impossible position. And I promise you, you will be continuously disappointed, and frustrated. Number one, the scene is set. Jesus' family thinks he's crazy. Number two, the question is asked. In light of that, Jesus says, okay, who's my family? Three, the question's answered. People around me. Four, we get a definition of the family of Jesus. Isn't that clear? Verse 35, whoever does God's will That's my brother and sister and mother. Obedience to God's will rather than physical relationships is the mark of the family of God. Mark of family membership. So to his family, Jesus is saying, this is his his mother and brothers there. You guys, like everyone else, are going to have to relate to me as king and savior of the world and not through any family connection. That doesn't work. And to the world, Jesus is saying, obedience to God is the mark. It's not the means. We'll get to that in a second. It's the mark that we are family. In chapter 4, Lord willing, next time we're going to see in the parable of the sower, all the different responses to the will of God as it's preached. And there's some soil, right? Instant bloom, instant fade. And there's the, the soil that's just wrecked by life's worries, riches, and things like that. So Jesus makes it clear. It's the one who does God's will. That are my family. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus, right? Jesus is not saying that it is by doing God's will that a person becomes a child of God. That's not the gospel, is it? No. 
Rather, he is saying it is in the doing of God's will that we are revealing what we already are, by grace, children of God. Jesus' family needed to think about that. Mary needed to think about that because she's not perfect here. And we may need to think about that as well. She can't get into heaven based on the merits of her being the mother of Jesus Christ. We can't get into heaven based on national origin or family connection. Our children won't get into heaven simply because they are raised in a Christian home. Because everyone needs to know Jesus as he is. Savior and King, first and best. The bar of God's judgment is so high, and rightly so, only Jesus can pass it. Nothing else can and no one else can. We need to listen to the words of Jesus as we get ready to finish. Listen to Jesus. Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaking to those around him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I say. Right? Why? That's the reaction to verse 35. That's the parallel text. Why do you use that word Lord if I'm Lord and you're not doing my will? Why? Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, a great cross passage here. Do not suppose, this is Jesus, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own family. All because of Jesus. I think we would understand this better if we lived in Iran or Saudi Arabia, knowing there when a person comes to Christ and they are publicly baptized, their parents throw them out of the house. They have to kiss their family goodbye. And our friends, in that context, they might wonder why we in the West, we create a Christianity which essentially removes these hard sayings of Jesus from the Bible and makes the issues of our personal family, our nuclear family's well-being, the touchstone, the benchmark uh, the, the, the rea- of our reality of our Christian conviction, right? So if this is it, the family is it, and everything's got to be focus, 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 focus on that with a heavy dose of emotion. But what emotion gives, emotion takes away. Because Jesus is saying that one of the inevitabilities of becoming part of my family, could be, could be, that those nearest and dearest may be separated from us as a result of Jesus. And it could stay that way for all eternity. Anyone, says Jesus, who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me, says Jesus, is not worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross... And follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus loves his family, earthly. But he also loves his forever family. And in some ways, he loves them better. The Puritans used to say that they had this term experiential preaching. And what that meant, if the preacher had an experience based on the truth of the text and it was real and true and right, then there were an occasion for him to like share it, if you would, with the congregation. So just, let me just do, try to do that. This is what I know. The devil's main business is to make the things of time, 
more intriguing and more desirable than the things of eternity. So I, I love my personal family, okay? For years now, they get a morning text and they get an evening text for years. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm for you. I'm praying for you. Every day, I mean, most days, I, I, almost every day, I bow and pray. Mercy, God, over their lives. Give them help, guidance. Protect them from the evil one, evil people, and the evil in themselves. I work hard for them. However, loved ones, because we here who are in Christ are a more important family than the Fran's own family, I don't send you a morning and evening text, I'll admit that. (laughs) But I bow to God with the same exact concerns, with the same hopes and dreams for you in every age and stage of your life. I try to work really, really hard for you as best as I can. And as best as I can understand and do this, you take priority over them. Now let me give God some glory. That has worked out in a very, very lovely way. A way that I know I don't deserve for a lot of years now. And I could sit here for hours and telling you how much I love my earthly family. So I don't want you to think I'm being cruel, that he's got some secret plan, you know, to help the church and all that. No, I'm just preaching God's word the best I can. Let me end by saying this. Romans 8, Paul encourages every Christian, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So some of us here may not have much of a family. Some of us may have a family filled with unhappiness and sadness. And some of us might feel the pressure of the perfect Christian family, which makes us feel, you know, that we're always a little bit less and we're never really hitting that mark. But they don't know what we face and they don't know what we deal with. But, now here's the thing, if I am a child of God, then I am an heir of God, and I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm not second tier, third tier, fourth tier Christian. I am an heir. I am an heir, and I'm part of the only eternal family there will ever, ever be. I think I'll stop there. Let's pray. Thank you for your help, Father. It was, it was hard to do. It was hard to study this week. And it was hard to preach. So I pray that whatever is helpful and useful will be applied in the life of this, your family. <laughs> and whatever was not would be removed quickly. May the love of God, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be on all who believe both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.